First weekend in September is a special weekend for those of us who own a bow. <laughs> and I got the opportunity this past September uh, to go up to the Missouri Breaks. If you don't know the Missouri Breaks, north of the Missouri River, uh, we were about two hours north of Lewistown, and so we were way up there, almost in Canada, uh, and got to spend some time looking for these beautiful mule deer bucks. Some of them were still in velvet. Uh, and we got to spend some time with three of us up on this beautiful property, uh, trying to find these deer and, and spending a lot of time looking through lenses. If you're a hunter or uh, you go up to Yellowstone National Park and you want to see the grizzly bears and you wonder, you're like a tourist and you don't know why they didn't let them out of their cages this Saturday. I, they're not actually in cages. They're wandering free. A surprise. Anyway, um, you look through lenses when you're up in Yellowstone Park. You look in lenses when you are hunting because lenses help give you perspective. They help you see things more clearly. Uh, some of you are looking uh, at me through a lens right now. You're looking on a screen. And so we live with lenses. Some of you wear glasses or contacts every day. I want to talk about lenses today. I want to talk about the lenses that we wear. And I want to specifically talk about the lenses that we use to look at the world around us. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said this, you can put this another way by saying that while in other sciences, the instruments you use are things external to yourself, like microscopes and telescopes and, and other various items, the instruments through which we see God, however, is your whole self. And if a man's self is not kept clean and bright, his glimpse of God will be blurred. Like the moon seen through a dirty telescope, that is why horrible nations have horrible religions. They have been looking at God through dirty lenses. How clean is your lens? How clean is the lens that you are looking through as you look at the world around you, as you look at your own life, and most importantly, how you look at God? Here's the question. How do I look at the world around me? How do I look at the world around me? What lenses do I use for the interactions that I have? What lenses do I use when I'm listening or reading to the news? What lenses do I have when I scroll through my social media feed? What lenses do I have when I read the Bible? What lenses do I have when I'm at work, when I'm with my family? What lenses do I wear? What view do I have of the world around me? The, the common phrase for the way we look at the things around us is called a worldview. In the 17th century, uh, a, a philosopher by the name of Immanuel Kant came up with this idea that we are developing a worldview. And through his enlightenment thinking, this idea of what is your worldview came to light. And since then, we've been asking this question over and over, what is the lens you're looking through. What does that tell you about the world around you? What does that tell you about the story that you are, you are in? What, what does that tell you? And, and so I want to pose to you this reality about our worldviews. I think our worldviews are shaped by the stories we tell. 
I think our worldviews are shaped by the stories we tell. We are creatures of story. It's not actually an accident that I start every single sermon with a story. Because you know why? Stories can hijack your brain. That's why some of my sermons, you can listen to like parts of it. And, and, but you're like, dude, 20 minutes, that like got a little long, man. Can you like cut it down a little bit, right? Like, but you can listen to three hours of Titanic, okay? You can watch three hours of Avengers and you're sitting on the edge of your seat because the story has hijacked your brain. Donald Miller is a great author uh, who has this company called Building a story brand business. And all they do is help companies figure out what is their story? How do you share your story that, so that it can hijack people's brains and so that it can um, give them purpose and meaning and excitement about what you are all about. Our stories that we tell, they shape the world around us. Miller says in his book, Building a Story Brand, story is a sense-making device. It helps us make sense of the world around us. Think about this. In your life, there are stories that you tell that shape your worldview. There are stories in your life that have been told to you that shape your worldview. Think about it. There's a story of me when I was a kid. I was with my parents. I, I was not even able to walk at that time. And, and I can vividly remember the picture that is connected to this story. It's me sitting in a stroller next to a lake with a fishing rod and a fish hanging from the end of that rod. My dad would tell me the story over and over again, how he would throw the line out with a bobber on it and I would, he would hand it to me and I would slowly reel the line in. And one day while we were doing this, Suddenly, there was a fish on the end of my line, and at the ripe old age of, I don't know, one, I reeled in my first rainbow trout. And you know what's definitive for me in that? I'm a fisherman. Like, it's not that I just fished in a stroller. Like, that is who I have become. My dad and I have been fly fishing together for over 25 years. I'm a fly fisherman. Do I remember that story? Not really, right? It's like, it's like imparted memories to me. I've heard that story over and over and over, and it has shaped the way that I look at the world. Think about this. September 11, 2001. If you were around at that time, you have a story to tell, right? You, you know where you were. You know what you were doing. Like me, you know you called your mama first thing. That's what you did, okay? What did you do on September 11, 2001? Here's a story that's being written right now. What was the world like during COVID? I've said this over and over and over the last two years. We're living in history right now. People will write books about this. People will write articles about this. People are already doing this. We are part of active history. There will be a story and there have been stories that come out of this that will shape the way you look at the world. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to give you a gospel-shaped worldview. I want to give you a story that is so good that, that it just captures you. That it just becomes a part of your story. That is so great 
and that is so grand that it has a tangible impact upon you. Because if I sat in a stroller catching a fish at one years old that I don't even remember, then this story should shape my life in a whole different way because it's so much grander than that little story. It's so much grander than your little story. So I want to share with you the gospel for everyone story line. The gospel for everyone storyline. It is this. It's a four-act story. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. It is the grand narrative of scripture. It is the grand narrative that we find ourselves in. It begins in Genesis And it ends in Revelation. We're going to pick that apart. We're just going to go Genesis through Revelation today. We're going to be here a while, okay? All right. I want to start with Act 1, creation. Act 1, creation. Now, I know that at this moment, there's a, a lot of thoughts about what I might talk about with creation. I know that even amongst Christians, there's debates about creation. Is, is the earth old? Is the earth young? Uh, was it 24-7 scientifically? What was it? There are some that postulate that the Big Bang was actually when God said, let there be light. And you might get drug into that, but don't get drug into that right now. Because here's the deal. It's the storyline. Don't miss this. It's the storyline. Line Creation is the first act in the story. Do you know how I know it's the storyline? Do you know how I think God thinks like we're a little silly with some of these debates? Here's why. God starts it like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That, my friends, that's how you start a story, right? In a galaxy far, far away. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Once upon a time, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Creation is the beginning of the story, and creation is amazing. Do you know why some of you live here Because of this act, creation. Do you know why some of you moved here? It's because of this act, creation. Like, you walked outside this morning and thought, I'm getting ready for the snow. I'm not sure I'm there yet, but I'm getting there. But you looked up at those mountains. I looked up at those mountains this morning and thought, that is beautiful. That is breathtaking. I was a pastor up in Big Sky for five years, and we had this chapel, Big Sky Chapel. It was right there on the golf course up there in Big Sky. And behind me uh, was a huge picture window that people would look at through me if the sermon got boring, which was a lot. So they got to see really cool things. Like one time we had a moose walk up on Christmas Eve, come against the window. I see this brown thing out the side. All the people on this side of the room are looking out, and I'm like, it's not that bad of a sermon. Pay attention, people. And all of a sudden, I see brown fur and this head turn around and two nostril blasts of this moose onto the window. 
We had elk show up. We had eagles fly by. And I'd always notice like their eyes were going this way or that way or this way. And pictured in that picture window was Lone Peak. Lone Peak will take your breath away. It's like an American Alp. It is an unbelievable mountain. And pictured right in the center of that picture window is God's creation on display. Listen, this is why people fall in love at sunset and sunrise. It's why we sing songs about the moonlight. It's why we understand the beauty of nature and the things around us. It's why you hike. It's why you bike. It's why you paddle in the rivers. It's a lot of why many of us live here because we love creation. I talked about Yellowstone earlier. When you go to Yellowstone, one of the things my dad always says when he goes to Yellowstone, it's like God is still making the earth there. It's still bubbling and it's still, still like functioning in this crazy way and it, it's a little unstable and you're like, what is going on here? It is awe-inspiring. It is beautiful. It is creation. And God says, let there be light. And then there was light. God goes on to create every single thing that we know, and it was all good. At the end of every single day, God says, it is good. It is good. It is good. In the grand poem that is Genesis 1, God shows us that he creates all the things above and below, the land, the seas, the sky, and then he fills all of those things with creation. This is a grand and epic beginning to the story that culminates in you and I. It culminates in the crown of his creation, Adam and Eve, Adam, which means man, okay? Like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting, right? Adam means man. And Eve, which comes from the verb Hava, which means the giver of life, the life giver. She's the one who produces life, right? Adam, the man, and Eve, the one who produces life. They are the pinnacle, the jewel of God's creation. They are splendid. They are beautiful, and they are in perfect relationship with God. It's act one. It's creation. It's a moment that we all long for. It's a moment that resonates within our hearts when we see things that are beautiful, that are nature-filled, that make our hearts sing. That is when we are in touch with this first act of creation. Man, I wish the story could have just stayed there, don't you? That would have been really good. But Adam and Eve... Adam and Eve only take this many pages, that's just one, okay? One page to mess it all up. They take one page to mess it all up and in chapter three of Genesis, Adam and Eve decide God hasn't given them good enough, that they could do better. And they are tempted 
by the tempter, by the father of lies. That they don't need God, that they, that they just need themselves. Sound familiar? They just, they just can do it better on their own. I mean, God's kind of keeping stuff from them and they're probably smarter than God anyway. And, and so, and so they, they fall. This is act number two, the, the fall. We know this story too. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What, what happened in that moment is that instead of life being beautiful, instead of life being whole, life became fractured. Life became fractured and broken. And it became a great labor. One of the things, you can check this out later in Genesis 3 and 4, is that one of the ramifications of life after the fall for Adam and Eve is that life became hard. He says to the man, God says to the man, because of this, you will toil hard. You will have hard labor. And then he says to the woman, guess what? You're also going to have hard labor in childbirth. Suddenly, suddenly the beauty is fractured. Suddenly there's a ripple effect of sin that leads to Adam and Eve's sons being the first two people who commit murder. That's how bad it goes. That's how quickly it goes bad. And it has this ripple effect throughout time because our first parents are just like us. When I was a kid, I always used to think, I would have done better than Adam and Eve. (laughs) I wouldn't have messed it all up. And now I'm like, nope, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have. This is my story too. That's why it rings true to me. This is my story too. I have no problem messing things up for me and for others in my life. And if you're honest, you have the same problem. Paul is a pastor in the New Testament and he writes um, to these enlightened people called the Romans. They were amazing. They had everything together. They have a lot to help us understand in our current culture and context. And in Romans 5, chapter 12, Paul helps the Romans understand this. Therefore, he says, Romans 5, 12, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. So the natural consequence of sin is death, okay? And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. You don't need to know Greek or Hebrew there, my people, okay? All means all, all right? All sin, to be sure. Sin was in the world before the law was given. We didn't have to have the Ten Commandments. Sin was already there, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. That's why the Ten Commandments came. That's why the law came. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam. There was no command, but Adam still sinned, who is a pattern of the one to come. Okay, here's what I want you to understand. 
Adam is our first father. His name means the man, right? He is representative of mankind. That is no mistake. And in this moment, the one man sins and we are all caught up in that sin as well. That sin that leads to consequence ultimately to death. That's why sin feels like death to so many of us. That's why sin leads to actual death taken to its extreme. Sin has marred this earth. It has broken this earth. It has broken your relationships. It has broken your finances. It has broken the way you look at God. It fractured the lens that you try to look through to see the world properly around you. Sin is such a problem. And we need to be honest about this. The fall is our story too. Like it, I feel like I'm trying to convince us all the time of this. Like We're part of the fall. I think we try to convince ourselves that we're the answer so often. And I want to be like, no, we're the problem. Like, I have this argument with people sometimes. They say, why would a good God send people to hell? And I'm like, well, God didn't send them to hell. We choose hell. We choose hell. It is only by grace that we are saved. It is only by grace that we are saved. Here, here's another way people say, I can't believe that God would destroy all of those people except for Noah. Really? I can't believe he saved Noah. Do you know what happened at the end of Noah? I'm gonna tell you, spoiler alert, children, cover your ears, okay? Noah makes a vineyard. He grows some things in the vineyard. He gets a little sauced on the stuff that happens in the vineyard, ends up in a cave naked. That's what happens, okay? That's Noah. Like, why'd you save him, God? I'm, I, look it up, okay? Look it up, look it up. I don't want the email, I don't want it. Take it up with God this week, okay. Our relationships, our bodies, our passions, our thoughts, even our genetics, they're affected by the ripple effect of sin. Uh, um, there's a word theologians, a phrase that theologians use called total depravity. John Calvin made it pretty famous in the 1500s. Total depravity, which means everything feels the ripple effect of sin. Everything. Everything is fractured. Everything is broken. That is the picture. That's the second act through the one man, through the one sin. Everything is broken. So we go from, we go from whole, we go from perfect to broken. And then we enter into act number three. Act number three, redemption. This is what Bob and I have been sharing with you the last couple of weeks. See, the story hinges on Jesus. And, and, and as Bob preached on last week, it hinges upon him being the ultimate sacrifice to fix what was broken, to bring back to himself those who he loves, to redeem them through his death on the cross. It's the same 
thing that I was preaching two weeks ago when I said Jesus is where the good news of great joy for all the people come from. We are a broken and fractured people in need of Act 3 redemption. Let's go back to Romans 5. Back to that passage. Romans 5, 15, here's how Paul says it. But the gift, the gift, which is redemption, the gift that needs to be received, the gift that you can't earn, the gift that you can't, you can't figure it out on your own. You can't fix it on your own. Your sin is too great, but you can, you can receive a gift. That's the great thing about a gift, right? Like somebody can give you a gift this, this Christmas and you'd be like, no, thanks. You can do that. That's cool. What do you do with this gift? Okay. But the gift is not like the trespass. Trespass, Adam stepped out of his boundaries. That's what sin is like. We step out of our boundaries. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, listen to this, this is good news. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Jesus comes and he makes us Mended. He makes us fixed. He repairs the fractures. I think there's so many pictures for this. Um, one of them being kintsugi. Everybody say it with me. Kintsugi. Okay, good. It's Japanese. All right, you learned some Japanese today, okay? Kint meaning gold. Sugi meaning repair. So, so kintsugi is this Japanese art form where what they do is they take broken pottery and they mend it with a gold resin. So they put the pottery, you can look this up on Google. I didn't have time for it this week. You can look it up on Google. You're good. Okay, kintsugi, right? They put it back together and they make this beautiful pottery that is lined with gold. All of the places where there are fractures are now whole. They're fixed. They're healed. They're mended. It's like, it's like Chip and Joanna Gaines, okay? If you can't get with pottery, okay? Get with the house, how, fixing up houses, fixer-upper, right? It's like Chip and Joanna Gaines, they like, that house. You're like, that house? Yes, that house. And then at the end of the episode, they, they pull the things apart, and then there's this beautiful house, and you're like, that's not even the same house, Chip and Joanna. Like, and it's amazing, and it's fixed, and it's repaired, and it's beautiful. And what was lost seems to now be found. This is what happens in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All that is broken is being mended by him. When we bring our brokenness to him, he desires to mend us, to fix us, to make a beautiful thing happen once again. The picture here is that we are repaired. We are fixed. That God has stepped in, that he has intervened, and that he has somehow put us back together again, that we are once again, we are once again available to being whole 
again. Does that mean you never struggle with sin again? No, 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 no. We have a baptism service coming up. I always say, hey, this ain't magic water. We ain't gonna dunk you. You're gonna come out, no sin. That's just not gonna happen. Sorry, guys, okay? We ain't playing magic water here. What's gonna happen is you're gonna have a new identity in Christ. So that's gonna begin to change things in you. It's gonna begin to mend things in you. It's gonna be, be able to fix things in you that you didn't ever think could be fixed before. This is redemption. And act four, act four, restoration. Restoration, we gotta go. So there's some tension here because Jesus rises from the grave. Easter, celebrate that each and every year. And then he ascends to heaven, okay? Check this out, beginning of the book of Acts. He like pulls the Superman, flies up to heaven. And the, all the disciples, rightfully so, are looking up at this guy. A couple of angels show up and be like, hey, what are you looking at? And they're like, well, Jesus, he did that thing. And they're like, you got work to do. Get out of here, right? Okay, go read it. What do we do in that, though? Like, what do, what do we do knowing that Jesus has paid for our sins, that Jesus is mending us, fixing us, making us whole, but yet we live in a tension where that just isn't complete. Some theologians would call it the now, but not yet. What do we, what do, we do with that tension? Well, we live awaiting act four, restoration. So, uh, love old dead guys. Abram Kuyper, okay? Reformed theologian. He says it this way. God looks at creation. He looks at the earth. He looks at all that he has created. And he says, not one single square inch is not mine, but every square inch is mine. God looks at creation and says, every square inch is mine. And so we, we live in this tension of the now but not yet. We've been redeemed, but we need full restoration. And, and guys, here, here's what we believe. We believe Christ is coming back soon. Do you know why I think he's coming back soon? Not because of COVID, okay? Surprise, okay? Because Paul thought he was coming back soon, and that was 2,000 years ago. So we're closer, okay? I promise, we're closer, Everyone who wrote in the New Testament said, it's coming soon. It's going to happen soon. Christ is coming back soon. Better get ready. And what they were talking about was this act for restoration. The moment where God says, every square inch is mine. And I'm going to take it all back. We await the return of Christ. Jesus himself said, I am coming back and I am coming back soon. So the picture here is in Revelation. I promised you Genesis to Revelation. Revelation 21. See, because I don't want you to just practice escapism. Escapism isn't good enough. Like, when can I get out of this life? When can I get to heaven and get my um, diapers and harp and wings? Okay, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this, okay? Then I saw... This is John. He had this vision. He said this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Just somebody sit on that today and let it just like blow your mind, okay? And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out 
of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. This is Jesus coming to the church. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Listen to this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne, this is Jesus said, I am making everything new. Then he said to me, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Act four. Yeah, yeah. That's what's coming. Like, sometimes we need, we need a seven-year-old to help us, okay? It's my daughter's book, Love Letters from God, okay? Love Letters from God. So she reads this at night, Bible stories for, for a girl's heart. And I said, I said, Ava, uh, can I borrow your book? Because at the end, it says, my love letter to God. So Ava, Ava recently wrote this love letter to God. And I thought, man, from the mouth of babes, okay? It says this, dear God, when I am in heaven with you, uh, I would add, honey, new heavens, new earth. There's a whole bunch going on. Okay, anyway, theologically correct here in this Vanep's house. All right, here we go. When I am in heaven with you, can we build a giant water slide made out of gold? Yes, and do you have a giant stuffy? And can I have a pet fawn, okay? That doesn't really correlate with my hunting, but, um. <laughs> but that was so good, especially because of that Japanese art of repairing things with gold. My daughter doesn't want things to be repaired with gold. She wants things that are gold. Seriously, that's funny and true. Like, and this is what I say to my daughter, like, picture whatever you think is the most mind-blowing for you to be with God. It's going to be better than that, baby. I promise you, it's going to be better than that. We don't need to have these cracks that are somehow made ornate with gold in the new heavens and the new earth because we won't have any more tears. We won't have any more sadness. We won't have any more pain. We won't have any and all of the things that are plagued by the ripple effect of sin because he will make things new. Do you want a used car or a new car? You know what I'm saying? Like there's so many examples of this that I can give. It's just a shadow of things to come. This is the storyline we live in. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And here's why this helps you. So here, here, how does the gospel for everyone storyline inform the stories we tell? You've got to think about how this informs you. In your own life, you would say, there are things that God has created in me that are beautiful. There's beauty in who God has made me to be. My callings, my gifting. But you know what? Some of that is marred by the fall. Like I'm broken and I need to, I need to admit that. I need to admit that sometimes I'm the biggest problem. 
and I need someone to fix me. So I go to Jesus with those problems and Jesus says, absolutely, I will fix you. Just receive the gift. You don't need to earn it. You need to figure it out. I'll give you the gift. You just take that gift, receive that gift and I will mend you myself. And, and then you're like, yeah, but God, there's, there's like these, these things that I still like, it just, I can't, I can't get over them and I'm still struggling. And God is like, listen, that is just a shadow of things to come because full restoration is coming. But there will be a day where you will not remember all of those bad things. Those things, whatever they are, I know some of them are really hard in the room right now, but I'm telling you right now, they will be light. They will be light and, and probably forgotten because you will fix your eyes on God who won't be somewhere up there. He will be with you in the new heavens and the new earth. You've got to let that inform your story. You've got to let that inform your story about the world you look around you, okay? Like, you've got to think this. I've got relationships. They're created for good things. There is creation in there. there are, people are created in the image of God, the Imago Dei, but they're fallen too. They're broken too. And here's the deal. If they don't believe that they're fallen, that's going to be really hard to get to restoration for them and for us. You've got to look through that storyline, you got to say, okay, well, that informs me on some things. Here, Christians, stop acting like fallen people should act like us. Just start acting like who we're supposed to be. Be a light. Don't be condemning, pointing your Christian finger at non-Christians. They're fallen. This shouldn't surprise you. What you should do is be an incredible light to them, Right? You should share redemption with them. You should share with them that there's a greater story so that their eyes can be opened by the Holy Spirit and so that someday they can receive that gift of salvation as well. And then, then you're gonna have a whole different new conversation with them. I promise you, I promise you. But we, we settle for being little gods and trying to tell people what they should do. Listen, let this inform your story. There are fallen, broken things in this creation. We're called to help be a part of restoration. We're, we're a part of pointing people to Jesus so that he can redeem them. Look at your social media feed like this. I'm serious. This would change some of you. It'd, be, it'd make some of you a little more patient, a little more kind, a lot more kind. When you look at the news, use this frame, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, like where are we in this storyline? What are, what are the lenses that they're looking for and how can I look through them in better lenses than the story I'm reading? Let this become your story. What story will you tell this week? That's how I want to end. What story will you tell this week? I want you to tell a new story so badly. See, stories shape you and I want this story to shape you. The, the stories that we tell, they shape our lives. So I want you to start telling this story to others, telling this story to yourself. I, I want you to tell a new, for many of you, I want you to tell a new story. Every single week in this so far, we've said, hey, we don't want it just to be a gospel of information. We want it to be a gospel of transformation. And so for some of you hearing this storyline for the very first time, and I would say, like, if something inside of you longs for that, don't, don't let it go, but grab a hold of it. Grab a hold of it and don't let go. And for those of you who have been holding on 
for a long time, but it's just, it's just lost some of, some of its potency for you. I want you to return to the story. Be people of the story. Our story is a powerful one. Our story is the story that Jesus tells us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the author and creator of life. You are the one who redeems. You are the one who restores. We glorify you. Jesus, I I pray for those who are maybe hearing this story for the very first time. That you would would have them respond to it. That they would say, I want this to be my story too. But they would embrace it as as their own and and God, that they would receive the gift that is new life in you. And God, if our ears have become dull to this good news, this gospel message, make it fresh in our ears. Jesus, you are, you are the one who sets us free. You are the powerful one. You are the one who redeems and restores. We glorify you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman, and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.